0: There's a lot of talk in the US and other countries at the moment about banning books and book censorship. This is an absolutely ridiculous notion, and this podcast and YouTube channel is 100% against the idea of book banning. It's an insane thing to do. But if your government is preventing you from accessing certain information through geo-blocking or government censorship, Surfshark VPN is here to help. With their No Borders feature, simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers, and read whatever you please without any governmental interference. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan, and read what you please without any censorship or geo-blocking. Have you ever received a call or text from a number that you don't know saying that a package you ordered hasn't been delivered because they need just a little bit more information from you? You don't remember ordering a package? and then start wondering how this scammer got your number. Well, anytime you go online and accept cookies or buy anything online, websites can keep your data and sell it to data brokers who create a digital ID of you. They can sell this digital ID to the highest bidder, and lo and behold, a bunch of scammers get a ton of information about you that you never agreed to give them. Well, with ECOGNI, this is no longer an issue. All you need to do is sign up and Ecogni will use the GDPR and CCPA and other privacy laws to get these companies to remove your data from their networks, protecting you and your data from scammers and anyone else who wants to use your data against you. Use the link in the description or episode notes and get Ecogni today for $6.49 a month on a one-year plan and protect your data and digital ID. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic English audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. This podcast is brought to you by my store. I will publish all my audiobooks in podcast format here, but if you really want to support me in making these or just want to listen to them when disconnected from the internet, then you can buy my audiobooks for five bucks at theessentialreads.myshopify.com. The link will be in the description. Let's get started. The War of the Worlds by H. G. Wells Chapter 10 In the Storm Leatherhead is about twelve miles from Maybury Hill. The scent of hay was in the air through the lush meadows beyond Pryford, and the hedges on either side were sweet and gay with multitudes of dog-roses. The heavy firing that had broken out while we were driving down Maybury Hill had ceased as abruptly as it began, leaving the evening very peaceful and still. We got to Leatherhead without misadventure about nine o'clock, and the horse had an hour's rest while I took supper with my cousins and commended my wife to their care. My wife was curiously silent throughout the drive, and seemed oppressed with forebodings of evil. I talked to her reassuringly, pointing out that the Martians were tied to the pit by sheer heaviness, and at the utmost could but crawl a little out of it. But she answered only in monosyllables. Had it not been for my promise to the innkeeper, she would, I think, have urged me to stay in Leverhead that night. Would that I had. Her face, as I remember, was very white as we parted. For my own part, I had been feverishly excited all day. Something very like the war fever that occasionally runs through a civilised community had gotten into my blood, and in my heart, I was not so very sorry that I had to return to Maybury that night. I was even afraid that the last fusillade I had made might mean the extermination of our invaders from Mars. I can best express my state of mind by saying that I wanted to be in at the death. It was nearly eleven when I started to return. The night was unexpectedly dark. To me, walking out of the lighted passage of my cousin's house, it seemed indeed black, and it was as hot and close as the day. Overhead, the clouds were driving fast, albeit not a breath stirred the shrubs about us. My cousin's man lit both lamps. Happily, I knew the road intimately. My wife stood in the light of the doorway and watched me till I jumped into the dog cart. Then abruptly, she turned and went in, leaving my cousins, side by side, wishing me good hap. I was a little depressed at first with the contagion of my wife's fears, but very soon, my thoughts reverted to the Martians. At that time, I was absolutely in the dark as to the course of the evening's fighting. I did not know even the circumstances that had precipitated the conflict. As I came through Ockham for that was the way I returned, and not through scent and old woking, I saw along the western horizon a blood-red glow, which, as I drew nearer, crept slowly up the sky. The driving clouds of the gathering thunderstorm mingled there with masses of black and red smoke. Ripley Street was deserted, and, except for a lighted window, also the village showed not a sign of life but I narrowly escaped an accident at the corner of the road to Pryford, where a knot of people stood with their backs to me. They said nothing to me as I passed. I do not know they knew of the thing happening beyond the hill, nor do I know if the silent houses I passed on my way were sleeping securely or deserted and empty, or harassed and watching against the terror of the night. From Ripley, until I came through Pryford, I was in the Valley of the Way, and the red glare was hidden from me. As I ascended the little hill beyond Priford Church, the glare came into view again, and the trees about me shivered with the first imitation of the storm that was upon me. Then I heard the midnight pealing out from Priford Church behind me, and then came the silhouette of Maybury Hill with its treetops and roofs black and sharp against the red. Even as I beheld this, a lurid green glare lit the road about me and showed the distant woods towards Adelston. I felt a tug at the reins. I saw that the driving clouds had been pierced as if it were by a thread of green fire, suddenly lighting their confusion and falling into the fields to my left. It was the third falling star. Close on its apparition, and blindingly violent by contrast, dance out the first lightning of the gathering storm, and the thunder burst like a rocket overhead. The horse took the bit between his teeth and bolted. A moderate incline runs towards the foot of Maybury Hill, and down this we clattered. Once the lighting had begun, it went on in as rapid a succession of flashes as I had ever seen. The thunderclaps, treading one on the heels of another and with a strange crackling accompaniment, sounded more like the workings of a gigantic electrical machine than the usual detonating reverberations. The flickering light was blinding and confusing, and a thin hail smote gustily at my face as I drove down the slope. At first, I regarded little but the road before me, and then, abruptly, my attention was arrested by something that was moving rapidly down the opposite slope of Maybury Hill. At first, I took it for the wet roof of a house, but one flash following another showed it to be a swift rolling movement. It was an elusive vision, A moment of bewildering darkness, and then, in a flash-like daylight, the red masses of the orphanage near the crest of the hill, the green tops of the pine trees, and this problematic object came out clear and sharp and bright. And this thing I saw... How can I describe it? A monstrous tripod, higher than many houses, striding over the young pine trees, and smashing them aside in its career. A walking engine of glittering metal, striding now across the heather, articulate ropes of steel dangling from it, and the clattering tumult of its passage mingling with the riot of thunder. A flash, and it came out vividly, healing over one way with two feet in the air, to vanish and reappear almost instantly as it seemed, with the next flash a hundred yards nearer. Can you imagine a milking stool, tilted and bowled violently along the ground? That was the impression those instant flashes gave. But instead of a milking stool, imagine it a great body of machinery on a tripod stand. Then suddenly, the trees in the pine wood ahead of me were parted as brittle reeds are parted by a man's thrusting through them. They were snapped off and driven headlong, and a second huge tripod appeared, rushing, as it seemed headlong towards me, and I was galloping hard to meet it. At the sight of the second monster, my nerve went altogether. Not stopping to look again, I wrenched the horse's head hard round to the right, and in another moment, the dog cart had heeled over upon the horse. The shaft smashed noisily, and I was flung sideways, and fell heavily into a shallow pool of water. I crawled out almost immediately, and crouched, my feet still in the water under a clump of furs. The horse lay motionless. His neck was broken, poor brute. And, by the lightning flashes, I saw the black bulk of the overturned dog cart and the silhouette of the wheel still spinning, slowly. In another moment, the colossal mechanism went striding by me and passed uphill towards Pryford. Seen nearer, the thing was incredibly strange for it was no mere insensate machine driving on its way. Machine it was, with a ringing metallic pace and long, flexible, glittering tentacles, one of which gripped a young pine tree, swinging and rattling about its strange body. It picked its road as it went striding along, and the brazen hood that surmounted it moved to and fro with the inevitable suggestion of a head looking about. Behind the main body was a huge mass of white metal, like a gigantic fisherman's basket, and puffs of green smoke squirted from the joints of the limbs as the monster swept by me. And, in an instant, it was gone. So much I saw then, and vaguely for all the flickering of the lightning and blinding highlights and dense black shadows. As it passed, it set up an exultant, deafening howl that drowned the thunder, "'Aloo! alo And in another minute, it was with its companion, half a mile away, stooping over something in the field. I have no doubt this thing in the field was the third of the ten cylinders they had fired at us from Mars. For some minutes, I lay there in the rain and darkness, watching, by the intermittent light, these monstrous beings of metal moving about in the distance over the hedgetops. A thin hail was now beginning, and as it came and went their figures grew misty and then flashed into clearness again now and then came a gap in the lightning and the night swallowed them up i was soaked with hail above and puddle water below it was some time before my blank astonishment would let me struggle up to the bank to a drier position or think at all of my imminent peril not far from me was the little one-roomed squatter's hut of wood surrounded by a patch of potato garden I struggled to my feet at last, and, crouching and making use of every chance of cover, I made a run for this. I hammered at the door, but I could not make the people hear, if there were any people inside. And, after a time, I desisted, and, availing myself of the ditch for the greater part of the way, succeeded in crawling unobserved by these monstrous machines into the pine woods towards Maybury. Under cover of this, I pushed on, wet and shivering now, towards my own house. I walked among the trees, trying to find the footpath. It was very dark, indeed, in the wood, for the lightning was now becoming infrequent, and the hail, which was pouring down in a torrent, fell in columns through the gaps in the heavy foliage. If I had fully realised the meaning of all the things I had seen, I should have immediately worked my way round through the bifleet to Street Cobham, and so gone back to rejoin my wife at Leatherhead. But that night, the strangeness of the things about me, and my physical wretchedness, prevented me, for I was bruised, weary, wet to the skin, deafened, and blinded by the storm. I had a vague idea of going to my own house, and that was as much motive as I had. I staggered through the trees, fell into a ditch, and bruised my knees against a plank, and finally splashed out into the lane that ran down from the college arms, I say splashed, for the storm water was sweeping the sand down the hill in a muddy torrent. There, in the darkness, a man blundered into me and sent me reeling back. He gave a cry of terror, sprang sideways, and rushed on before I could gather my wits sufficiently to speak to him. So heavy was the stress of the storm just at this place that I had the hardest task to win my way uphill. I went close to the fence on the left and worked my way along its palings. Near the top... I stumbled upon something soft, and by a flash of lightning, saw between my feet a hump of black broadcloth and a pair of boots. Before I could distinguish clearly how the man lay, the flicker of light had passed. I stood over him, waiting for the next flash. When it came, I saw that he was a sturdy man, chiefly but not shabbily dressed. His head was bent under his body, and he lay crumpled up close to the fence, as though he had been flung violently against it. Overcoming the repugnance, natural to one who had never before touched a dead body, I stopped and turned him over to feel for his heart. He was quite dead. Apparently, his neck had been broken. The lightning flashed for a third time, and his face leapt upon me. I sprang to my feet. It was the landlord of the spotted dog, whose conveyance I had taken. I stepped over him gingerly and pushed on up the hill. I made my way by the police station and the college arms towards my own house. Nothing was burning on the hillside, though from the commons there still came a red glare and a rolling tumult of ruddy smoke beating up against the drenched hail. So far as I could see by the flashes, the houses about me were mostly uninjured. By the college arms, a dark heap lay in the road. Down the road towards Maybe Bridge, there were voices and the sound of feet but I had not the courage to shout or to go to them. I let myself in with my latchkey, closed, locked, and bolted the door, staggered to the foot of the staircase, and sat down. My imagination was full of those striding metallic monsters, and of the dead body smashed against the fence. I crouched at the foot of the staircase with my back to the wall, shivering violently. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, or at Jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe, because there's more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It really helps me out personally, just makes me feel great. And it also allows the podcast to get in front of more people. So I'd be very appreciative if you were to do so. Once again, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.